0: I live on a mountain. I have rocks everywhere. I have boulders in my yard, actual honest to goodness boulders in my yard. And today I went to the store and I bought more rocks because capitalism is stupid. On top of this, doing all of this work over the last couple of days, my back is trashed. Like it hurts. It hurts to sit here and record right now, but I'm going to do it for the people. Time for a strength check. Power, infinite, it infinite power infinite it infinite power 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 infinite it infinite power infinite power. it incident infinite it infinite power What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzek. It's time for another episode of Strength Tech. Thank you, as always, for continuing to tune in and listen to our show. We really appreciate it. Thank you to those of you who listened to last week's side quest episode, sidetracked, uh, detour. There's a word there that fits. Episode about Star Wars for Star Wars Day. Uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about. It's one of my favorite stories overall of all time. It's It's something that's very important to me. So thank you for indulging me. But this week we're getting back to back on track, getting back to what we've been trying to accomplish, if this show is really trying to accomplish anything. And that is to talk about some crime history, some mental health stuff, and some dungeons and or dragons. So the last few weeks we've been talking about anarchy in the United States, and I've centered it on the assassination of President William McKinley, who was killed by a kind of rogue Anarchist, socialist named Leon. I'm still not gonna try to pronounce your last name Leon. I'm not sorry about that. And so what I've I've discovered, and, and like thinking about how I've been writing about this and how we've been talking about it on the show, is that I think there's a misperception about what anarchy actually is. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. I also want to talk about a a sort of weird overlap between this story and another couple of stories that we've talked about in past episodes of Strength Check and then give a little preview about some more crime history to come, maybe starting next week. So, anarchy, I think, is one of those things that people really genuinely misunderstand, and it's not for any anybody's fault, right? Um, if anything, I think it's because of how anarchy sort of exists in relationship to the status quo and the existing power structure in the United States and in much of the world, which is that we live in societies that are um, really dependent on this idea of government, right? Like, I, I think for anybody listening to this, the idea of not having a government is is weird to you, uh, of any sort. No federal government, no state, county, city, municipal government at all. And so, one of the things that anarchists advocated for, and what anarchy believes in, is that humankind doesn't need a government. That the existence of government regardless of if it's a monarchy or a democracy or a republic or communism or socialism or whatever, that the very existence of government is something that impedes on our sort of God-given freedom, right? That that no person, that no man, woman, or child can actually exist in a state of natural freedom as long as government exists. And so that's part of it. The other part of the anarchy is that it's... It's sort of, how do I even want to say this? I think the best word that I've seen described, used to describe it is mutualism. So anarchy is like socialism without government, where everybody who buys into an anarchist or anarchical society all buys into this idea that we're going to share and share alike. So this idea of like markets or capitalism or capital or owning anything is really antithetical to what anarchy believes in. So not only are they against government, they are against like property and there's a lot to disagree with there. There's a lot that like historically people in the United States would not buy into like hook, line and sinker. You can be against capitalism and you can think that private property is really gross but still want there to be government. And so who are you going to side with? The people that are ultimately advocating for your complete destruction or sort of like the devil that you know um, because they still believe in government. And so anyway, like I tell you this because I think for a long time anarchy has been associated with this idea of like chaos and that anarchy are, anarchists are people like the Joker who just want to see the world burn just to do it. And that's not really true at all. I think, you know, a couple of episodes ago, I, I, as sort of like a pithy end of the show, I said something about, you know, do something different. Like, challenge society, challenge norms or something um, after you listen to the show. And I think that in a way, that is kind of what anarchy believes in, right? Henry David Thoreau, like I think I mentioned this on the show before, but Thoreau was an anarchist. Thoreau's writing about his time on Walden Pond was really an anarchist uh, screed an anarchist book anarchist writing he was he was writing to demonstrate that he could live and sustain himself how he wanted to live without anybody's help without needing government and that he was able to exist in the state of perfect freedom so we can look at this now and say that that's really sort of naive right that we need people we need each other we can't all live in complete isolation there's not enough space there's not It's just impossible, right? And so I think that's why, like I said, anarchy has become synonymous with this idea of chaos because the idea of being anti-capitalist and anti-government is something that runs so counter to everything that the vast majority of people living in the West believe in and agree with that kind of offering up anarchy as as a plausible alternative to systems and institutions that exist is rather than like offer it up as something that's legitimate and something worth considering and is there any sort of positives about these ideas is there something we can learn from this is there something we can take from this and sort of operationalize how we want to do it there's none of that it's crazy it's crazy who would ever want to live like that and so the people that we're talking about as far as anarchists in the United States in the early 20th century these aren't people who are advocating for just burning the world down They did want to destroy the government. They were, you know, if this existed today by 21st century standards, I think that they would be defined as a terrorist group. In all honesty. But they were not just chaos for chaos's sake. So there's that. Now, as far as this tidbit that I was talking about, when I first discovered this a few weeks ago, I wanted to drop everything and get on mic and just record my thoughts then and there, but um, I wanted to. I ended up just kind of sitting around and processing it and kicking it around as one of those like funny, like historical quirks um, that at least I had never heard of before. Maybe there are people listening to this who, once you hear the story, this is just old hat for you and nobody cares. Um, but whatever, it's my show. I can do what I want. So, the assassination of President McKinley, I think you could argue, was sparked by a woman named Emma Goldman. Um, Emma Goldman was. An anarchist uh, speaker she did a lot of talks and lectures around the country and leon last name unpronounceable by my uh speaking ability such that it is saw her speak and was really moved by what he heard her talk about and he tried to meet her he tried to make arrangements to to meet her um, but as I talked about, Leon was an odd guy. He had a lot of difficulty connecting with people. And so he, he meets Emma Goldman after one of her talks, or he, he sort of like bird dogs her. And he doesn't really make much of an impression. She comes away thinking he's this kind of this pitiable boy um, of no real import. Um, but anyway, Emma Goldman is connected to Evelyn Nesbitt, our friend Evelyn. And so the connection there is is interesting. So Evelyn Nesbitt, if you remember from past episodes, was a aspiring model and actress who was raped by a man named Stanford White. Stanford White was the architect of the first, I'm sorry, the second iteration of Madison Square Garden, um, the first iteration of what we would think of as the garden today after she was victimized by white she ends up marrying a guy named harry thaw harry murders stanford white in front of a crowd of people at the garden goes on trial for it evelyn is dragged in front of the court two times she testifies about what she told harry about stanford's rape of her um, and what it did to him and Evelyn Nesbitt is the reason why, in my opinion, she's one of the reasons why we talk about rape and sexual assault today the way that we do, because the papers published her testimony almost verbatim. And President Teddy Roosevelt at the time tried to, what there's a metaphor, try to get the toothpaste back in the tube. (laughs) Um, By trying to get the papers not to print what she had said in court, but they already printed it. So um, President Roosevelt's fears that the country just wasn't going to be able to keep it together hearing all the terrible things that Evelyn endured um, was proven false. Unless that's why we're in the conditions that we're in today, but I doubt it. So anyway, after the trial, um, the trials, uh, things between Evelyn and Harry had gotten really bad. They were basically estranged, um, and they eventually did separate. If they hadn't separated during the trial, my memory's a little bit foggy. But anyway, at the conclusion of the trial, the Thaw family gave Evelyn $10,000 as, like, uh, a, a sort of like a payoff, I guess. They had, they had separated. Um, she had been so dependent on Harry th- for her money. Um, so $10,000 is like a reward or a payment for testifying on his behalf during both of his trials. And at that point, Evelyn was so disgusted by the Thaws that she didn't want their money and she viewed the money as kind of an insult to everything that she had endured and everything that Harry had meant to her and she to him. And so she... She wanted to use the money in a way to spite the thaws, and she ended up giving it to Emma Goldman, who took the money and immediately gave it to a man named John Reed. John Reed, at the time, was the president of the American Communist Party. Um, But John Reed is especially important because he, in his role as a journalist, was one of the first people, well, the first person to really introduce ordinary Americans to the reality of war. John Reed went to Mexico during the Mexican Revolution. John Reed got a film company to follow Pancho Villa uh, and film Pancho Villa in battle, and then turned around and started showing those films in early movie theaters in the United States during the course of the revolution. And so the first real Actual visible war hero in American history was Pancho Villa, not anybody else, not anybody that you're taught about. It was Pancho Villa who was, like we've talked about here before, this outlaw. He was a bandit. He he got involved in the Mexican Revolution not out of any kind of political aim. I think it was more something to do for for him. And so, just this sort of weird kind of thing where emma goldman is now connected to two of the biggest cases in that decade it was really interesting to me but more so than emma goldman the guy who is connected to three that i've been able to track down so far and kind of piece together three of the biggest cases in the first part of the 20th century is teddy roosevelt if this happened today i think we would look at Teddy Roosevelt as like, did you do this? <laughs> like, were you behind all of these crimes, Teddy? Like, you can tell us. I'm on your side. If you let us know, I can talk to the DA and the judge and maybe he'll let you off with just 25 years. Like, it's weird. Like, Teddy Roosevelt's life is really strange. There are lessons in it, I think, about just, you know, doing what you want to do and envisioning what you want to do and making it happen anybody else be damned that's that's who teddy was like teddy got involved in public life because he he saw the state of of the police in new york city and basically declared himself the commissioner and and in his capacity as commissioner hired the first italian police officer in new york city the first italian detective giuseppe petrosino but i don't want to talk too much about petrosino right now because we're going to talk about him soon Teddy Roosevelt, like I mentioned, tried to censor the courtroom testimony of Evelyn Nesbitt, and Teddy Roosevelt was William McKinley's vice president. So he's around. Like he's he's hanging around these major people, and it's not surprising, right? Because important people hang out with important people, but it's just odd. Right? That Teddy Roosevelt one of the biggest personalities in american history and emma goldman who herself had this major personality are kind of in this weird sort of orbit around each other at this point in american history and they're they're not necessarily pushing in opposite directions it's it's very it's one of those puzzles that i don't know i like to kick around and think about And, you know, there's something to that, too, right? Like, I like this idea. I like ideas. I like thinking about ideas. This show is an idea. This show is an opportunity for me to talk to you about ideas that are finding, that are struggling to find a way into the world. Like, that's the point of the show for everything else that we try to frame it as. So I've been really fortunate over the past week or two to be introduced to the works of natalie goldberg and dorothea brand who both wrote books about writing and i'm almost obsessed with these these books um because they're ideas that i've never been exposed to before and in a lot of ways for me as somebody who's not religious it it seems like what a religious experience might be like like for the first time in my life i feel as if i'm not actually alone in the world um to get a little dark i guess Um, But anyway, what Natalie Goldberg writes about in her advice to aspiring writers is really more metaphysical than actual technical advice. And I don't need technical advice, and I don't think you need technical advice either. But the metaphysical stuff I think is really fascinating, and the ideas that she talks about are really interesting because I'm somebody who I think is obsessed with ideas. And that's one of the things that she talks about, that we should name our obsessions that we should acknowledge what they are and we should ask ourselves why are we obsessed with these things that as a writer if we try to avoid our obsessions or ignore our obsessions they're going to find a way in like they're going to creep in somehow and so rather than try to shut them out completely we should name them and try to make use of them and she also talks about dreaming Her and Dorothea Brand both talk about dreaming, but they have different sorts of approaches. Not opposite, just different. Dorothea Brand talks about the importance of daydreaming, that we should allow ourselves to be childlike, that we we learn more about ourselves and our perspectives on the world by thinking about what we daydream about. that's really cool. Natalie Goldberg talks about the importance of recognizing that our dreams are are valid. Um, And I find that idea really fascinating because part of my job is to talk to students about what their dreams are. And unfortunately, these dreams are, are about your career, what your career path is going to be. We don't talk about dreams about health or happiness or family or life. We talk about careers. What's your dream paycheck? And so, pragmatically, my job is to try to temper expectations sometimes. So what I mean by that is, if a student has barely passed their classes, and they come into my office and they tell me that they want to go to one of the best law schools in the country, my job is to say, well, you're not. (laughs) It's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that their dream is invalid, and it doesn't mean that it's impossible Because that student could very well withdraw from my university, re-enroll someplace else as a first-year student majoring in political science or sociology or criminal justice or biology or chemistry or electrical engineering and get a 4.0 in all of their classes and graduate with honors and be first in their class and have a scholarship to any law school in the country that they want to. Like That's not impossible. But, in my experience, a lot of people don't think about their dreams that way. Like, we don't tend to think about stuff like we might actually have to work for it. But I don't know. I do know that a lot of times we allow people to shut our dreams down. Because we do, unfortunately, think about everything in terms of, can I make money off of this? And a lot of our dreams are not something that can be, like... A paycheck, right? It's not something we can monetize. It's not something that we can, you know, we have to call the IRS about my dreams, right? And so, because of that, I think that a lot of times we think that what makes us happy is actually something stupid. And we don't want to do stupid stuff. Like Dwight Schrute said, anytime I'm about to do something, I ask myself if a stupid person would do it. And if the answer is yes, I do something different. Like, we think about ourselves a lot in those terms. And so I sit here in my basement, surrounded by my stuff, recording a podcast that I don't know how many people listen to regularly. And I, I think about all the people who, upon hearing about this idea for this show, or even that this show exists, would say that this is a stupid idea. Um, and maybe that fear of doing something stupid held me back for a long time you know academia is a very judgy and hypercritical field to be in <clears throat> and so maybe all these ideas that i've had that i am obsessed with that make me happy i maybe i've squashed those because people are going to think it's stupid and so i shouldn't do what makes me happy but again because the works of these brilliant women have been like a spiritual awakening for me i, I I don't care like what this show is. We can talk about crime history. We can talk about revolution. We can talk about D and D and it's cool. It makes me happy. And so it's good. And so think about what makes you happy and think about the stuff that you're obsessed with and think about the stuff that you're dreaming about. And what's your plan to get there? What's your path? How can you take the talent and the genius that you have and weaponize it so the last thing that I want to talk about this week is an update on our Dungeons and Dragons um, projects so Play for Progress is officially almost up and running the GoFundMe has been going great, we raised enough money for me to buy more dice for the kids and more uh, books um, thanks to the new bundling system on DD beyond i was able to buy all of the source books electronically and so in the future any of our students um, can join a campaign on DD beyond that i set up and i can share those books with them for their duration in the program that's a game changer for us really it, it exposes the kids to so many new ideas and artwork that i think is going to be really important starting in a few weeks My student volunteers and I are going to be launching two different games. One of them is going to be a play-by-post game, also on D&D Beyond. The second is going to be released as, I think, supplemental episodes of Strength Check, our time notwithstanding. Both of those games are going to be centered on mental health. Both of those games are going to be designed for people who have no idea what Dungeons & Dragons is, how tabletop gaming works, um, who might be hearing this now and thinking, like, this is a stupid thing. I'm going to skip those episodes for sure. All that is a precursor to actually launching Play for Progress in September. And I gotta say, I've been really blown away by the positive responses that people have, have given me to this idea. Um, just talking to people in passing about, you know, we want to do something to help kids who are struggling and suffering tell their stories and tell their stories in a way that helps them heal and helps them find their resiliency and helps them find their strength It's something that people really respond well to so i appreciate every one of you who has donated or contributed or even said keep it up so if you would like to follow any of that stuff again we'll have the podcast episodes the actual play podcast episodes released through strength track that'll be on your feed Um, we'll make sure to title those properly so you know what to look out for once we start the game on D&D Beyond, we'll also share a link there if you would like to observe. We have a Discord setup for both the Strength Check podcast through Mages and Mentors, and we have a Discord setup for Play for Progress. I will include both of those links in the show notes this week. Um, and that's it for this week. The show is produced, as always, by Mark Warren. Mark looked at this, this around mm, 13, 35 and thought, this is tight. Oh, hi, Mark. You can follow the show on the red-hot Twitter machine at Strength Check. You can email the show at StrengthCheckPodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or feedback. You can find our show on all the podcast places. If you enjoy this, if you enjoy me, if you enjoy the ideas that we're talking about here, please leave us a positive review. Even if you don't, please leave us a positive review. Please, please. Uh, An a special appearance note, this coming Thursday, uh, what's the date this coming Thursday? It is duh, 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 the 16th, May 16th. I will be on Twitch playing with the people from the Scraticus Academy, 10.30pm, Thursday the 16th. We'll be playing a game of d and um, I don't know what I'm going to play, um, but in the spirit of anarchy, it's going to be fun. That's it for this week. Be good, people. Talk to you soon. Bye.